the Night Owl Podcast, Episode 17, Buenos Aires Cafe, Part 3. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. In this episode, the team and I conclude our investigation into the paranormal claims at Buenos Aires Cafe. Come with me as I embark on the tedious journey of uncovering this building's colorful history and try to assemble the many missing pieces to this complex puzzle. Meanwhile, Sarah and Alexis try to help Paula with the energy in her cafe by working on appeasing the spirits and learning a proper cleansing for the space. And lastly, in my archived audio files, I discover a hidden clue to the mysterious happenings in this old building. A clue that links directly back to one of the current employees at Buenos Aires Cafe. And what I discover forces me to get Sarah involved, and what happens next has led to the most shocking validation I've experienced to date on this show. Stay tuned. If you're new to the show, a quick note. This podcast is best devoured in chronological order, so we highly recommend that you stop here and begin your journey with us on episode one, Ink, Coffee, and Spirits. Trust me, it's worth it to travel alongside us because we've made some incredible revelations in regards to the paranormal with each case, and honestly, if you skip around, you just won't have the same incredible experience that we did. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. When you need custom t-shirts, this shop's got your back. At Oh Boy, they've made customer satisfaction and quality their top priorities. Their aim is to supply you with quality products that meet your every need, specializing in custom screen printing for organizations, clothing companies, schools, businesses, and even events. Big or small, Oh Boy is here to help. Crisp, clean t-shirt printing without setup fees or hidden costs, and always delivered on time. Ohboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. And now, mention the Night Owl podcast and get $50 off your first order. On December 1st, we began the long journey of investigating the accounts reported at Buenos Aires Cafe. The case kicked off with a record number of eyewitness accounts to the strange activity happening in the building. Some of the most common reports included hearing footsteps or activity from upstairs when closing staff were down in the basement office, finishing up paperwork for the night. There were other accounts of objects falling, moving, and in Manny's case being thrown at him in the kitchen and upstairs bar area. But one of the most intriguing reports was the sighting of a tall male apparition in their basement speakeasy, Milonga Room. Owner Paula had actually seen him in the mirror, Pastry chef Sky witnessed the male figure one morning going to grab an apron in the basement. Chef Chris admitted seeing the male shadow figure often in the basement area as well. And kitchen manager Manny saw a male shadow he mistook as his own continue to walk past him in the basement dry storage area. Others that didn't report seeing the figure reported feeling his presence. Prep cook Magdalena proclaimed that there was definitely something in the building and she felt it most down in the basement area. Milonga bartender Sidney reported hearing the male presence throw his voice around down in the basement and felt that the speakeasy was most definitely the male presence's space. And lastly, employee Allison seemed to be this male presence's favorite target. She admitted that closing by herself at nights was terrifying. She informed us that once she put the drop bar down on the basement door, meaning that she was locked in and the only way out was upstairs through the back door, that the male presence seemed to do what he could to let her know that he was there. 
noises, strong feelings of his presence, and in some cases, touching her. On her first visit to the cafe, Sarah picked up on two spirits upstairs. An older male energy who's predominantly guarding and walking the left side of the upstairs dining area. And the second was a female spirit she believed to go by the name Estrella. This female energy seemed strongly connected to the kitchen and front bar area of the dining room. Sarah picked up on some of the activity like objects falling or moving, and staff hearing things early in the mornings or late at night when no one else was in the building, especially around cleanup time. However, the two spirits she was seeing didn't seem to align with the most commonly reported sighting, the tall male shadow figure concentrated in the basement area. But the tone quickly changed from lighthearted conversations with Estrella to a more hesitant and reserved approach as I took Sarah to the basement stairs. She confirmed, looking down into the darkness, that we had something different down here, a male presence you could physically see she was unsure of. It took her some time, but eventually Sarah was able to obtain details from this male presence, and many of these details coincided with what the staff had reported. Sarah mentioned that if the staff saw him, that they would see him in shadow form only. She also said that he appeared to be about six foot tall, which was the most commonly reported height by eyewitnesses as well. Paula and her staff had named him Leon after finding this name in the basement bathroom tiles. However, after some time, Sarah was getting a very different name, Armando. At the end of our last episode, we ended with Sarah meeting Allison for the first time down in Milonga. It was here that I discovered another shocking validation made by Sarah. Upon meeting Allison, Sarah revealed that the male spirit in the basement was attracted to Allison and that that is the reason why he focused a lot of his attention on her. But unbeknownst to me, the staff had actually kept a secret from Allison for the last couple of weeks. Apparently, another psychic had wandered through the building weeks before we had even begun this investigation and discovered that the male presence in the basement had a crush on someone in the building and didn't want the staff to tell her. It was a lot to take in here. Sarah had gotten names, physical descriptions, common activity, and very spot-on details like the six-foot male shadow figure in the basement and the very specific information regarding Allison and this male presence. We needed to take a breather and have a sit-down with Paula. She'd heard bits and pieces of what Sarah had gotten in passing, but didn't have the whole story quite yet. Um, so when I first walked in, um, the immediate spirits that I saw were just two initially. So it was a woman that's in your, like your kitchen, your bar area, and then a male spirit, a little bit older, hanging out, you know, across in the, in, you know, more towards your back door. And the female spirit is Estrella. That's the name that I got for her. She just likes like everything, the commotion in the kitchen the commotion when you have a lot of people in the restaurant, the energy that happens, you know, she likes to be part of all of that stuff. From the man, and the name I got was like, I kept saying ponchos and blankets, so I'm gonna say it's poncho. Um, He's older, so it's almost like if they were living in the same era, he would have been an older, like an uncle or whatever, like the difference between them is about 20-ish years, right, in the age. But they don't see themselves at that age, you know what I mean? They show me different. So he shows me just a little slightly older. So he would, he's probably in his like 50s, mid 50s or so. Mm -hmm. So they're almost in the same era, just 20, you know, 20 years apart. Um, So he came in with someone uh, that either worked here or is part, like it was a regular person part of here, right? Uh, I think Chacho was the name of that person. So either they were related somehow, like they could have been an uncle or a grandfather or something like that, but he followed that person in. And because of the energy here 
and you know just the environment itself I think he just stayed um, he's more your protective spirit more like a security guard is the way I can describe it someone who's always kind of pacing the floor looking around making sure everything's okay so he's just that guy that just watches things go on as you know, there had been three predominant spirits, the two upstairs and the male figure downstairs, but at this time, Sarah was pointing out that she had picked up on another energy that wasn't quite as strong, but she felt the need to let Paola know about her and also what she was wanting. Towards your the back end of your restaurant, you've got this really pretty piano. So tied to that is a woman. I'm not quite sure. I didn't get a name for her or anything like that. I'm just calling her the piano lady because that's just what I'm getting. She just had the simple request of please add some flowers. You know, she's got a very floral scent to her. So when you pass by, you might even smell like wildflowers or that kind of stuff. It's what she likes. As we move downstairs, in that back room, you get Armando, who's a little, uh, I guess in life he was very big, very boisterous, like the kind of person that you invite him over. And then when he comes in, everybody knows he's there, right? He kind of like takes over the room, takes over the space. And a little bit of arrogance to him, but still likable, like still, I don't know how to explain it, you know, very vivacious that kind of that kind of person I think in life he loved to talk he loved to chat he liked to be around people um, but I think because there's been so many changes not necessarily in the building but all around the area he's kind of secluded himself into that space where it's not hasn't changed as much and he feels more comfortable there but at the same time he still needs to have that uh, interaction uh, and the only way that he can interact with the you know living world is to do silly things like you know touch you, uh, talk to you, move things, and it, you know I'm sure it creeps it because it's you know it's down your downstairs in the little basement area, so I'm sure it's scary. Uh, but he's it's more of him just telling you, hey, I'm here, you know, just kind of acknowledge that I'm here, kind of thing. So he's just kind of reaching out. So that was those are all the spirits in the building. He originates not in the building, but I think. It's deeper. It's either the whole property, the land. Like, he was here, and he made it known, almost like uh, the way he presented it was like, this was all, like, mine. And none of them seemed to want to, they're not going to want to go anywhere, they're not going to want to do anything, but they're also not harming anything in the, in, in the area or in the building. They, all three, tend to help you shoo out other spirits that are coming in. There's a lot of construction happening around you, and that displaces energy. It displaces some of the spirits that were already there, maybe also embedded in buildings or, you know, on properties and that kind of thing. So those spirits tend to gravitate in to just kind of check things out, and they're okay with that. Mm -hmm. Check us out, but you need to go when we're done. Like, and so they shoo them out. Um, it's interesting talking back about Armando. I was uh, traveling through Cuba. I met with someone, like an old friend from Cuba, who sometimes gets like messages. And in the last trip in September, um, he was asking about like the restaurant, how are things and whatnot. And I shared a little bit and of what was going on. And he told me that the ghost that we had in the basement that he's from a very long time ago, from, like, the land. Um, like, he was from a long time ago, and then that I shouldn't get rid of him because he was very protective. And that if I tried to do that, he would get really mad. And then he just said, like, maybe you can leave him, like, some liquor, some, some like, watered-down coffee, some um, cigarettes. So we started doing that, and, like, people have been putting cigarettes and money in the little area. I don't know if you saw that there's like quite a few bills. So in general, just a lot of the requests, if I'm, I'm running through them, 
for Poncho, he doesn't really have a lot of requests. His is just his the windows, because he stares out your windows to, you know, the world going by. So if you can, when you do the curtains, just kind of leave him some space. Mm-hmm. And since he tends to stay on this side of the building, he's only working with two windows, right? So just little spaces that he can... Yeah, he can peek through because that makes him kind of happy to be able to see the world outside because he doesn't leave the building. He just stays here. For the lady in the piano, it's the flowers that she really likes to have, and I think I already told you that. Downstairs for Armando, he now kind of understands, you know, that he's causing that uh, scary feeling, (laughs) right, Mm -hmm. Uh, down there, and um, he's going to work on it. You know, he promised he's going to be a little bit more... Subtle, but still, you still know that he's there. But I noticed you had the, like with the candles that are out, if you can change them from whatever colors you have to white and water. He was, you know, the biggest request was for water. That's it, really. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting and it's really wonderful to hear that they're all, that we don't have to do anything major. You know, we for a while we thought, oh my gosh, they're angry. We've had, um, like I mentioned to you yesterday, it's like a lot of plumbing issues, and we were wondering, is that them or like him trying to like say something, like leave or clean? I don't know. Uh, it's gotten to the point where everybody started blaming the ghost for everything. <laughs> so we we're like, is it really like the ghosts or are they actually like issues that we need to fix? It's very common to do that. I mean, once you have one experience, it's very common for you to blame the ghost for almost everything. Yeah. Um, but the spirits around here won't do, like, they're not going to, you know, mess with your plumbing or, you know, do that kind of stuff. With Armando downstairs, he just needs the confirmation that you know that he's there. Mm-hmm. You know, so even if you're coming downstairs saying, you know, hey, I'm coming downstairs or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I myself on my way down had to ask permission to go down so mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing to just acknowledge that you know that they're there and that's all he's wanting and so all those things that he does is really just to communicate that he's there but he does it all in good fun it's not anything bad or anything like that on any of them mm-hmm. aside from the plumbing you'll recall another curious phenomena we were unsure whether or not Armando was drinking his offerings of coffee and liquor, or if it was just evaporating. Paola had noticed that the liquids go down significantly. We can't say for certain if this is entirely explainable, but I did do an experiment at my house with three liquids, coffee, anejo, and tequila. To my surprise, the liquids evaporated a significant amount within seven days. The liquids all seemed to go down a little over three quarters of an inch, but in Paola's case, She sometimes sees this amount of liquid missing within a day or two, so it's hard to say for certain on this. Upstairs, if you are hearing uh, steps or chairs, that's more than likely. Pancho, he tends to sit in this corner area of your restaurant, in the back corner area of your restaurant. Um, So he would be the one that maybe on your way out when you're locking up or something by the corner of your area, you might see somebody still sitting there or standing there. That's him. He's just really just kind of looking at everything. With the information Sarah had picked up on the spirit she'd named Pancho and the new piano lady presence, I uncovered something in Allison's original interview that now seemed like it might be connected to one of these spirits. In fact, every time I shut that door, I always, I turn around and I look at the door. I see not a person, but just like a movement, like through the air. Because every time I leave, I feel like it's right there. Like it escorts you out, basically, is what it feels like. 
What um, side of the room do you see that in? Um, that's by the piano okay. over there next to the door. You know, again, whenever I've walked out that door and set the alarm and, like, always look back in the window after I, like, completely close it up because we always leave the lamp on over there and it's just like a, a movement. Apparently, anyone closing the cafe exits and locks up through the back door where the piano is. Pancho apparently was a very protective and guarding spirit that patrolled this area, and the piano lady just seemed to be a peaceful presence that came with this antique piano that Paula had placed by the back door of the cafe. Sarah now continued on her final thoughts for Estrella. And Estrella is the movable object person in your kitchen. She knows things should be a certain way or wants them to be a certain way, so she will move stuff around for you. Uh, maybe at night you leave something somewhere, and then morning it's in a different place. Or, yeah, she'll move stuff around to tell you this section goes here, right? right? So she's telling you where to go. Or she's also communicating. She's letting you know that she's there. Um, so, and it's the same thing. Same thing, like, okay, that's fine. Can you please stop doing that? You know, just acknowledge it. It's probably safe to say, tell your staff, just talk to her. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You know, that kind of thing. Um, that way they'll get comfortable with it. And, and eventually what happens is since you're acknowledging that they're there, they won't do as much. Mm-hmm. Right? Now they don't have to constantly remind you that they're there. Now they're just like, oh, okay, you know, every so often. Um, and just keep track of moods. If you're having a really bad day, one of them is going to come and check up on you. It, you've got three to choose from, right? Four, if you count the lady, you know, in the back area. So they're going to come and check in on all of you, on all of your staff. They're going to feel those emotions, and they're going to try to figure out what's going on, and it's either they're going to goof with you to make you laugh, mm-hmm. or they're going to console you if you're not feeling well. So they're going to do these things. Mm-hmm. It's just human nature to do that, even, right. even in death. Hearing Sarah mention that the spirits would check in on her staff, especially if emotions ran high or someone was having a bad day, made me recall something from another staff member's interview. Listen to what Manny says during his first phone interview with me. The weird thing about it is, to me, I guess the thing that, you know, kind of sticks out in my mind, the thing that kind of bothers me about it is it kind of coincides with my mindset. It seems like whatever entity is in the building feeds off of negative or positive energy if you are feeling bad seems like whatever it is is extremely angry um if you are positive it's kind of euphoric um and i have no history of the restaurant i've tried to i've tried to look it up just for you know my own interest in trying to kind of figure out you know what the hell is going on you know because it weirds me out that it it always kind of feeds off of my negative or positive energy or other people's negative or positive energy. Um, Kind of whatever you perpetuate into the situation seems like whatever it is kind of feeds off of that. Oddly enough, at this exact moment, Paola brought Manny up and asked if she could ask Sarah about the dishes flying and hitting him. I could tell Paola was still confused as to why he seemed to be a target. Frankly, I was curious about this too, so I agreed to reveal this information to Sarah so we could figure out if she had any answers. Can I ask about Manny? I was going to ask about that. Go ahead. So we have um, one of our chefs. He gets plates thrown on his head all the time, or like things on his head all the time. If you ask him when it actually ha- what he was doing when it happened, mm-hmm. maybe he was doing something incorrectly. 
or and that was a correction mm-hmm. right like hey don't do that could it be something simple like that or it could be maybe he just doesn't acknowledge them I've seen that happen with people who can actually see them and they refuse to Mm -hmm. and so they're really trying to get their attention for them to acknowledge so it could be one of the two either he's doing something he shouldn't be doing or he really knows that they're there and he's been ignoring them and now they want to say something what Sarah just said here really got my gears turning She mentioned the possibility that the spirits knew Manny could sense them, but he was ignoring them. That would imply that Manny, to some degree, had some level of psychic ability or sensitivity. So, in my usual obsessive way, I dove into re-listening to all the audio from Manny's first interview to see if I could unearth any evidence that would possibly back this theory up, and I found something. The piano right there in the corner... I've I've kind of just walked I've walked past it. I've like felt I want just it's like I'm saying it's hard to explain, you know. But it's just that weird feeling you get like there's there's something about that piano in the corner that's just weird and eerie to me. And I've gotten to where like I won't even walk over there to that part of the restaurant <laughs> anymore because that. Piano just kind of wears me out. Um, I play guitar and piano. I mean, I've looked at it's, I love instruments. I love music, art, you know, food, things like that. And I won't, like, I won't really walk over there in that corner. That whenever I look at that piano in the corner, it makes me feel really weird. It, it's hard to explain to, like, you know, tell you exactly the feeling, but, you know, it's like the hair on the back of my neck will just stand up just whenever I walk past it or whenever I look at it. It's weird to me. I'd originally deleted this out of his segment you heard in part one because the piano really had no other stories tied to it and I honestly felt it was an isolated incident that only Manny had experienced. But now, Sarah was calling out that there was something attached to the piano and the only person on staff to pick up on this was Manny. Throughout the interview, Manny mentions the emotional tie to things that happened in the building a topic he brought up multiple times and felt important to him. He believed his emotional state affected the spirits in the building, or vice versa. There were also many other things in the interview that were flags to me, and I now knew that this case was going to take an interesting turn, because I wanted Manny to meet Sarah. After this short break, we'll return to Buenos Aires Cafe to do a follow-up and hear how things have been since Sarah's visit. I'll also reveal what I've dug up in the history records for this very old building. And lastly, we'll make an unnerving discovery when we introduce Sarah to Manny. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. Custom printed t-shirts made in Austin with love. Now there are many reasons why I love this family owned print shop and why Oh Boy is my go-to shop for all things Night Owl. But let me pick one to rave to you about today. Have you ever ordered custom tees from an event or bought some from your favorite band or company, only to realize that they're thick, scratchy, and look like you're wearing a bag that isn't very flattering on you? Well, that's one thing that won't happen to you when you're with Oh Boy Print Shop. They offer a variety of t-shirts to provide the right choice to meet your needs. I myself prefer comfortable, slightly fitted tees that look and feel awesome enough to wear every day, either by themselves or under a throwover shirt or sweater. Old Boy Print Shop helped me pick out a tee that fit those needs, and honestly, when I open my closet in the morning, I skip all my other tees and go straight for the Night Owl shirt, because it's the most comfortable and flattering tee in my entire closet now. 
Oboy's aim is to provide you with the options that help you get the product that meets your every need. So, there's no more need for hesitating. Order your first batch of custom printed tees with Oboy Print Shop today, and you'll be in great hands. Plus, now you can get $50 off your first order by simply mentioning the Night Owl Podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit oboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. With all the fascinating reports from the staff at Buenos Aires Cafe, paired with the new information that Sarah provided us from her visit, I was very anxious to start researching this property. But before traveling to the Austin History Center to do this, I'd gotten a lead from our team member Alexis that the owner of a local herberia and botanica shop located just one block north of the cafe knew a lot about the area and might have some good information to share with us. So soon enough, I found myself on the corner of Waller and East 7th Street at the little botanica shop called Green and White. Owner John was very welcoming and had a lot to share with me. Uh, my name is John Casares. Uh, this is my 22nd year of being in this particular operation of this place. This place has been in operation since the 40s as a grocery store. And I've been here since the 50s because I grew up here. This was my grandfather's store. The Buenos Aires building, as far as I can remember, uh, was a tortilla factory. I just remember the one side, kind of like where the door is at for the place. That was the one door to, to go into the place, and that's where they served you. And I'm pretty sure that we used to get masa there from the store because we made tamales over here. So probably their, you know, their tortillas. I believe that was El Phoenix, and the family was the Galindo family. They kind of split into two tortilla two tortilla factories. Came from that one tortilla factory there. Uh, one of the tortilla factories was El Galindo, and the other part of the family he took on the name. It was uh, El Lago Tortillas, which became Milagro Tortillas, which was just a little further west. As young as I was, I don't really remember too many people. I can kind of remember some of the faces now, but not too many of the names. But I guess I wasn't paying much attention at the time. I remember the building being just kind of vacant for a little while. I guess I guess maybe after they started this other place, and then they worked on expanding to the last place that they were at before they shut down completely. Hernandez Cafe was the first place to kind of retake it back over again. Family-owned cafe. Uh, it was Leon Hernandez. Leon Hernandez. Unknowingly, John had just given me a very helpful bit of information. We now knew where the name Leon came from. Apparently, in the late 90s into the early 2000s, Leon Hernandez and his family opened up a popular Mexican restaurant called Hernandez Cafe, and it was in the same building as Buenos Aires Cafe. All the waitresses were, everybody was kind of like family there. It was, you didn't, you know, it wasn't the place where there was a big turnover of employees and like everybody that worked there, worked there for a while. And so you kind of knew everybody and they all came over here. Do you know anybody in that family still or do you have any connection to anybody in that no, family? No, I mean, I've seen Leon once or twice. He stopped by here, but, you know, everybody's kind of moved out of this area, yeah. you know, and... The owners now at the shop saw the name Leon in the mm -hmm. tiles in the mm -hmm. bottom bathroom, so they call the spirit Leon. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not him, though. <laughs> so now we knew that Leon was alive and well, and I was excited to relay this bit of information to Paula soon. 
Alexis and I set aside several days and dove deep into researching the property history. And on January 21st, we returned to Buenos Aires Café and sat down in Milonga Room to share our findings with Paula. And although we hadn't quite made any direct connections with the names that Sarah had gotten, we were still excited to share the rich history of this building with the current owner. History goes, Alexis and I have begun the process, Okay. but it is a lot. The good news is, though, we kind of went all the way back to 1905. Oh, wow. The biggest thing that I did find out, and you probably, I think I kind of hinted at this to you, I was able to confirm Leon. Right. Leon Hernandez was the owner of Hernandez Hernandez Cafe, Cafe. and I did speak with John at Green and Wine Grocery, and he personally knows him, and he's like, he's alive and well. Yeah. (laughs) So, at least we know that that's most likely not the name that is the correct correct name. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that proves that Sarah's name is correct, but we can kind of rule out Leon as the name. And I think your initial feeling was that it felt older, like, from a long time, and I think Sarah just kept repeating that over and over. This is the, he's been here the longest it's like back 1800s to 1900s, like we're on that time period when it was transitioning. And we're talking about Armando, Armando. The one that she calls Armando. We haven't been able to find the names. The names aren't correlating with anything we've found. Haven't found an Estrella. But I found that it was a saloon, 1909 to 1910. So I'm really curious about you tr- you converting this into a speakeasy, mm-hmm. how that might have affected some of the activity, and also this Armando character, if it was someone that kind of was around during that time, if right. this was something he was involved with or he was a frequent customer or if he just worked here, it would kind of might stir up some of that similar energy. And this is why he kind of, this is where he is now. After discovering that this building used to be a saloon, I dug up information through directories and online research that actually listed saloon or just the word beer under the address or property information. The time frame that this building seemed to be a saloon or sell beer was 1909 through 1916. And if you can recall, on Sarah's readings down in Milonga with Armando, she actually picked up that his era seemed to be in the early 1900s, and she actually got imagery of boxes of beer bottles and even said they're making beer. I'm seeing like boxes, like, uh, it looks like, uh, not moonshine bottles, beer bottles. They're making it. They're making beer. From 19... 19- 1910, it was it was called the General Lee Saloon. Oh wow! <laughs> and then it was owned by this Frederick Low Lau. I don't know how you pronounce that. Okay. Um, and then it, there was always this is where the half formed. So I'm wondering if that's when it kind of. Oh, it looks like it half looks half like down here and upstairs. Okay. Or possibly they they yeah. the actual top building and cut it in half. It was a lunch stand. Part of the building was a lunch stand, and part what of the building, mean? I guess it was a food like a cafe. And then it stayed that way. If you noticed in 1912 and 13. Still under Frederick Lau Saloon. And then 1914, there was Alina Hudson in 1201 and a half. So I'm assuming this might have been the living quarters. Maybe someone lived here and the the shops were upstairs. I'm it not exactly like sure. like that was the thing a couple of times. Still a saloon in 1916, <laughs> but taken over by Abraham Tamos. Okay. And then it became like a soda and a candy store in 1920 by oh, Walter cute. B. Elam. John Gonzalez was a renter in 1922-1927, so we don't know exactly. But it did say it was a, he was a confectioner, which means a person that sells sweets and candy. So I think it stayed a candy store and a soft drink store, probably. This is where it gets kind of weird. It was vacant for a very long time. 1929 to 1945, pretty much. Upon further investigation following this visit, I made an interesting observation that I'm still not quite sure what to make of here. But the property address, 1201 East 6th Street, actually disappears from the directories from around the late 20s until 1952. What's strange is that a new address appears, 
1200 and 1200 and a half. And it seems some of the same businesses and owners previously listed at 1201 East 6th Street are listed at 1200 and 1200 and a half. So it's hard to say if this was just a matter of the city changing the building numbers for a time and then changing it back. But where history picks back up for 1201 East 6th Street is in 1952. It's where El Phoenix Tortilla Factory was. But to make things even more confusing, El Phoenix is listed as 1200 East 6th Street from 1947 up until 1951. Then the address switches back to them being in 1201 East 6th Street. It's very confusing, but I just wanted to be as accurate as I could with you listeners. It started as El Phoenix Tortillas in 1947. But the Galindos owned El Phoenix. They owned the whole thing. Then they eventually changed it, right? It split. Apparently, the two owners, it was Galindos and someone else, ended up kind of buying part of of the company. Mm -hmm. And then they split. Galindos Tortilla moved down the street Mm -hmm. somewhere off of... Six as well. Okay. And then the other owner opened El Milagro Tortillas. Through further online research, I ended up learning that El Phoenix Tortilla began as a small operation working out of this building. And at a certain point in time, the founders, two sons, Thomas and Joe Galindo, ran the company. The two brothers decided to split the business because they each had different ideas for the future. And Thomas and his wife Ernestine stayed in the building and renamed the company El Galindo Tortilla Factory. Ernestine ended up being a very strong businesswoman and El Galindo prospered, making it the first Mexican-owned business in Austin, Texas, breaking into the millions in profit. The tortilla factory beginning in 1947 lasted up into the 1980s, and it seems to have been the longest-running business working out of this building. In the late 90s, Leon Hernandez and his family opened up Hernandez Cafe. An interesting fact... MTV tried their hand at their very first sitcom called Austin Stories, and every episode, the main characters congregated and hung out in Hernandez Cafe, so you can actually watch episodes on YouTube and see what the cafe looked like in the 90s. But in concluding our research, the one other takeaway I got from all these findings was that the building's history was predominantly Hispanic businesses and owners, and the three main spirits that Sarah had picked up on, Estrella, Armando, and the male she was calling Pancho, were all Hispanic. It's just more food for thought. As we wrapped up sharing this building's past with Paola, Sarah had arrived and it was time to bring her and Manny together to have a sit down and see if we could learn anything from a face-to-face with him. Neither Sarah nor Manny knew fully what my theory was, so I was curious to see if Sarah would pick up on any unique gifts or abilities that Manny might possess that he was unaware of. Manny, how long have you been here again? Uh, about two and a half years. Two and a half years. She sometimes will just pick up on some things. Manny, Sarah, and I had sat down by ourselves in Milonga, and Sarah was somewhat spaced out, appearing to read Manny. She quickly began saying that she was seeing an older lady. It's definitely not the girl in the kitchen, so it's not associated with the building. The dishes. There's a lot of losses, so, um... Manny, Manny, Manny. Where you been all my life, Manny? Within seconds of meeting, and especially after Sarah delivered this phrase, Manny, Manny, where have you been all my life? You could visibly see a change in Manny. He wouldn't make eye contact with us. He was nervously fidgeting with his hands, and he seemed to have waves of shortness of breath and moments of panic that he was trying to subdue. But Sarah continued to relay what was coming through. On the backside, peripheral side of him, there's multiple figures. One, two, three... There's four and a void. (laughs) So you're sensitive. But you don't have control over it. 
and I think that's the problem. Just a random question, Manny. Is there times where you're kind of like laying in bed, you look up and you feel like you saw somebody there, and then you blink and they're gone? It'll happen a lot when you're in the shower or halfway asleep, when you'll see somebody standing in your peripheral vision and you'll turn to look, or even driving, you might see somebody in the rearview mirror in your car and you'll look, and there's nothing there. The activity you're seeing, the, the dishes being thrown at you, the things breaking, the stuff moving in your house, you're ignoring them, so they're getting more active. So all this stuff that's happening in the buildings has nothing to do with the spirits in the building, but they're being very helpful as far as keeping a lot of them at bay. Basically, you're just going to have to learn how to use your gift because they're reaching out and you're not responding. So you're getting all of that impact from the response. The only light right now is there's a woman, older lady, kind of, I would say maybe in her 70s or 80s, who's constantly watching over you. She's always there, she's always trying to help, but she's getting the same thing. She's trying to talk to you, but she can't. But it's not, uh, it's because you just don't know how to use what you know. Manny still appeared to be very emotional in this moment. I had kept the mic off him just so he could take in what was being said and hopefully shake off the nerves and anxiety that was so visibly pulsing through him in this moment. But he spoke up finally. Two things, one, anytime it's it's ever happened or when it happens it's just a rush of emotion and it's very hard to like articulate I think I'd like to learn that better second thing is whenever I first sat down and you were like Manny Manny where have you been all my life why did you say that that's something my granny used to say to me I myself was overcome with emotion when Manny said this The phrase that Sarah had muttered within minutes of meeting him had felt odd at the time, but now it made sense. We weren't sure who the other entities were quite yet, but with this validation, we felt pretty confident that Manny's grandmother was the older female spirit Sarah was seeing around him. It just popped into my head, so it was probably something she needed to tell you. Yeah, that just kind of triggered an onslaught of, like, emotion. And Is it true that you feel like this is something that has been going on for a while? How soon, how far back do you think it goes for you? As far back as I can remember. I can tell you the first spirit he saw, he was maybe one or two. This is now this old lady feeding me information. Oh. And it was her father that you saw. And then aunts, uncles on her side. So you were seeing your family initially, and then it became other people. That's why she didn't leave. She didn't know how to help you close it off. So she never left because she's been helping you filter, which is good, but she's been the strongest point to keep you kind of sane and safe until you were ready. And she keeps saying, not ready. When I was little, I used to get scared in the dark before I fell asleep. She would hold my hand until I fell asleep. She remember like being young and I would like study the inside of her hand, like, were you afraid to go to sleep for any reason, or was it just kind of like being a kid? Saying things. Did she know about that? Or you kept it a secret? I was just said that I was scared. But that's what it was. I would see, like, flashes of things and then just emotion. You're young. You don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. Then it's like a flash, but then it's like a rush of emotion. Like, yes. 
So you're more empathic. I'm not that way. I'm, I can kind of feel it, but it's more at bay. I'm more visual. It's more of pictures. I'll be somewhere and randomly just get constant flashes of pictures of things in my head, and I'm trying to figure out where it's coming from. Or I'll see them, just kind of like you and me, sitting here hanging out. And then I have to weed out whether they're real or whether they're not. But yours is more emotional. And those are harder because whatever they felt, you're going to feel. So if they're scared, you're going to be scared. If they're angry, you're going to be angry. It's just part of the empathic part of that part. So that's all, instead of sight, it's emotion it's that you, you got to learn to separate them. But it has to start somewhere, I think. And I think that's what we want to, we want to provide that for you in some way. You had told me in our interview that you felt like whatever was happening was reacting to your energy. I was asking you for help. Looking back at my first phone call with Manny now, I do see this call for help. I'm glad something drew me back to the audio files and somehow I got the hunch that he might be going through something similar to Sarah when the gift took hold of her life in her late 30s when I had first met her. As I always admit, I'm not sensitive to the paranormal, but one thing I've started to learn about myself through this show is that I might possess a different kind of gift, a knack for getting people to open up and tell me things that allow me to see that there's more behind the words, that they're asking me to pry a little and expose something that they would otherwise bury for the rest of their lives. And in Manny's case, this was true in more ways than one. And where I'm going to take you next, I want to disclose first and foremost that it was never my intention to air what I'm about to play for you. But through the course of several months, having Sarah work with Manny, he's actually told us that he'd like us to use this story to enlighten and inform others who might be in a similar situation as him. And for this, I'm forever thankful to Manny. Because what unfolded later that same day... Something Sarah told me was now the most validating thing that's happened to me on this show to date. So right now, I'm going to take you back to my first phone call with Manny and let you hear a segment of our conversation where Manny opened up to tell me about a tragic event that occurred when he was a child. Whenever I was 13, my brother shot himself. You know, I'm 37 years old now. Like, yes, I've gotten over it. But like I'm saying, the first dead body that I ever saw was my brother, and he shot himself with a shotgun. Oh, man. And every experience that I've had here coincides with a dream about my brother. It's not like a horrible, like, nightmare dream. You know, my dad owned his own construction company as we were growing up, so we'll be building something, or we'll be pouring a slab of concrete, or... I mean, he's there, and it's, like I'm saying, it's not it's not horrifying to me, but being 13 years old and yeah. seeing that, like, that yeah. was extremely horrifying. I mean, I guess, I, I don't know, somewhere in my psyche, like, it just kind of works its way out that way. Definitely, it, for sure. It it's it's going to play in somehow or another to that. I mean, it's just, there's so much energy tied to that moment that you experienced, you know, and it's going to, in a way, haunt you, you know what I mean, for the rest of your life, or right. something you can't right. forget. Like, you go from, like, being a kid and being naive and, you know, playing with your friends to, like, real-world experiences, you know yeah. what I mean? And that was, like, that was my first real-world experience. I knew, when I heard this, that this event from Manny's past would undoubtedly rise to the surface if we put Manny face-to-face with Sarah. And quite frankly, 
I was really scared about what would come of it. Sarah, a lot of times, doesn't have a filter and just blurts out what she sees. So during the first portion of the session that you just heard, I was relieved that it went without any mention of a suicide or his brother. But at one point in time, Sarah had asked me to leave and grab Alexis just before this moment. And when we came down, Manny looked ill. She quickly asked Alexis to perform a cleansing ritual. Alexis did it, and Manny grew more ill. He began coughing and grabbing his chest. When the cleansing was done, Manny darted to the bathroom, where we could hear him coughing and heaving. In that moment, Sarah informed us that she didn't want to scare Manny, but needed to take several spirits that seemed to be attached to him. She somehow had taken on 31 spirits from him, and she was going to take them home with her so she could try to help them and lift some of the burden that Manny was feeling. I have 15 women, 6 children, 10 men on my side. He still has more. All of them are at just different stages of pleading for help. I can't take any more. There's two that I'm chasing. I really want to get them, but I can't. They keep moving around, so... And they're the ones that are giving him the more emotional state. I think one of them, the trauma, I think he... To be honest, I think he committed suicide. Sarah knew nothing about Manny aside from the fact that he was an employee at Buenos Aires Cafe who had dishes thrown at him on multiple occasions. And within the first hour of meeting him, she unconsciously recited a phrase his grandmother always said to him, called out activity that he'd been experiencing since childhood, picked up on his empathic abilities, and now has discovered a spirit strongly attached to Manny who she believes committed suicide. A spirit that I now had no question in my mind was Manny's brother. I say this all the time on the show, but I wrestle with believing in Sarah's gift. So every case we go in, I put her through the ringer, and she's always surprised me. But when she told me about this suicide victim that she was seeing right in this moment, my entire body was overcome with chills. Not because I was afraid of what she was seeing, but because I secretly knew she was going to see this, but I denied it, and I couldn't deny it anymore. I wish I had enough time to take you through the life-changing journey that we went through with our private sessions with Manny. Sarah continued to meet with him, and Manny allowed me to document the entire process. It's over nine hours of audio, and Sarah made countless other phenomenal validations, from specifically calling out an animal that comes to Manny in a recurring dream, to working with Manny to control his gift and getting him to eventually accept the fact that his brother was trying to reach out to him for a long time now. And also that, quite possibly, the dishes being thrown at him and many other experiences very well might be him struggling to connect with him, to have a conversation that he's been needing to have since the fateful day he took his own life. In the end, though, Manny visibly changed before our eyes. Paola, staff, and friends reported seeing an alarmingly positive change in Manny following the work Sarah did with him, and that she continues to do with him. I saw it, too. And although Manny continues to gain control over his gift, Sarah and he now know that in time, when Manny is ready, that important conversation with his brother will happen. When we last checked in, Manny reported now feeling his brother's hand on his shoulder behind him in his recurring dream. He says he feels comforted by it. He isn't quite ready to turn around and face his brother yet, but he will one day. But one tiny victory we had was getting Manny to face the piano he always feared going by or even touching. Manny had informed me he's played piano since a young age, but won't lay a hand on this one in Paolo's restaurant. On our last session, Sarah worked with Manny to cleanse the piano and space around it, 
and opened himself up just to see what would happen. To our surprise, at the end of the session when I was getting ready to pack up, this happened. just told me to do that. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> told you to go and play, didn't she? She was wanting you to play that forever. As our time on this case was coming to an end, I wanted to meet with a few employees that had experiences to see how things felt now that we had come to the cafe and offered up some validations and conclusions. I've really not had any like sensations really uh, since after you guys left. I feel like it's been really calm. I've not been having like whenever I'm closing by myself, I don't have the anxiety. I'm not hearing things move around as much upstairs. So I don't know if maybe they're less active or maybe um, they realized like whenever you were here, we're kind of like we're on edge and uncomfortable. And they, it seems like it's definitely, it was definitely like a positive response. And yeah, so that was a a really great experience for me personally and very eye-opening, for sure. I've never been a believer in another sort of realm, and that has very much changed. (laughs) And I never thought uh, that would be the case, but uh, yeah, very much changed. It's very much real, but uh, I don't feel like I'm being bothered or sort of like sought out anymore. Armando's giving me... he's confirmed validating the hands-off role, but he was excited because he knew he was going to get to see you today, so. Sarah did definitely, like, lighten the load a bit. Not as much anxiety. I don't, you know, I don't feel the pressure that I did before. I've gotten better about being able to just walk away from it, you know, just kind of controlling it and not, you know, not letting energy envelop me. I feel great, to be honest. It felt really heartwarming to know that the spirits are good spirits and that they want to be here and then they want us to be here. And that they help with the cleanse of like moving on things that shouldn't be here energetically. I thought that was really great. I was very surprised to hear there was four ghosts. I thought it was just one. <laughs> so to hear there was four, it was kind of like, that's a lot. <laughs> Now when I leave the building, I feel, uh, I do my ritual, I say goodbye. I make sure that the curtains of the windows are open so that Pancho can look out. I put flowers by the piano. It feels really good. I'm glad that I can do something, whatever the specific thing is, to make them feel welcome. I feel safe. Sometimes when you don't know and you don't understand, but you can perceive things, it does give you that, uh, or at least for me, it gives you that, gives me that anxiety of like, is it good? Is it bad? Like I know it's there, but like I don't feel safe. My inclination is to just get rid of it, like cleanse it, and like move on to your, you know, next path. But to hear that they're here and they want to be here and they're good made me feel very safe, and so I leave the building very peacefully. It was really great to hear that following our investigation, the staff seemed much more at ease in their building, and that many of them welcomed the energies that seemed to reside there. But in the end, there was one more interesting revelation that occurred during our time at this place. If you can recall, from Sarah's first visit and walkthrough of the building, an older female spirit interrupted our walkthrough and needed Sarah to deliver a message to Paula. 
She said, angustia en la vida es normal. Viva la vida fuerte. That's for you. I don't know who this woman is. No idea who she is. That's all she wanted to tell you. Whatever that means to you, I don't know. But that's what she wanted to tell you. Sorry, it was just coming in. And I just need to, like, throw it out or I wouldn't, I would have forgotten. No, no worries. Now, as this case was coming to a close, Sarah was getting a message from this same female spirit once more. How are things with you? Because there's something going on and I need to know. Emotionally, I know you're a little, kind of like a little bit of a roller coaster. I can tell you've got more lights on you today, so she's a little concerned. But she's just wanting me to just kind of check in and see if everything is okay. Paula didn't admit it to us at this time, but there were things happening in her life that would eventually allow her to see why this message and person she believed to be a deceased relative was coming to deliver it to her and check up on her. On my very last day at the restaurant, Paula sat down and had a conversation with me about this very issue. I can't remember exactly the phrase, but it was something along the lines of anguish is part of life. Don't let that get in the way of being happy. And I got very taken by that message. Made me freak out a little bit. Like, why is she saying that? Everything seems to be fine. So I was looking out to fully understand what she was talking about. So later that day, when you guys first came, we did the cleansing with Alexis. And it was the first time that we did it the way that he showed me. That cleansing, I think, cleaned out not only the things that we can't see, but it did a pretty intense cleanse in the actual restaurant, like physically. More importantly, I think that it cleansed out a lot of energy that people were bringing in into the restaurant. And that was very difficult for me because I unfortunately had to let go a lot of people. There were a lot of things that were going on that I wasn't aware of. What I found out, I really cannot disclose. Uh, All I can say is that it happened just literally days after you guys were here. And it was shocking. I remember the message after I found out what was going on. And I remembered it because it was the first time that I felt anguish in my life. That makes me a little bit emotional. And I was faced with having to make some pretty intense decisions. Decisions that I really didn't want to take, but I had to. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that all of this came to light after we did that with Alexis. And that message made so much sense. It was literally spot on. And I can say today, after all of these many weeks have gone by, I feel, it feels great. I feel very at peace. I feel that my decisions were the correct ones and my staff feels better. The work environment feels better. Like being inside of the restaurant feels better and lighter and and cleaner and things are getting done easier. There seemed to be a lot of obstacles before. Like, no, this can't be done because of this, and this is happening. Now it's it's easier. It's like, okay, we're actually moving forward now. Um, I feel very grateful that I was given that piece of 
advice before I actually needed it because it made sense and it, and it brought me some, some peace. In the end, although I was upset at not being able to find any data in my research to validate the actual spirit Sarah claimed to see, I was overwhelmingly pleased with the work my team and I had done on this case. Alexis was able to help Paola learn a proper and effective cleansing ritual that was right for her cafe, and also provided Manny with the tools that could help him on his difficult journey of understanding his gift. Franklin used his rational thinking to draw a clear line between explainable and unexplainable phenomena in the building. And lastly, I witnessed Sarah use her gift in extraordinary ways, not only validating the claims everyone was experiencing in the building, but by delivering the unknowingly important message to Paola before it was even needed. And finally, recognizing Manny's empathic ability and working with him to get a handle on his gift. Not to mention, she brought to light the very important knowledge of Manny's brother and his need to have a conversation with him. I walked away from Buenos Aires Cafe with so many emotions, and I know I wasn't the only one who went on this roller coaster. I'm just happy that I learned something very valuable on this case. Physical, tangible evidence is not what's important to me on these cases anymore. Ghosts or no ghosts, it's about taking time to have real moments with real people facing real issues and doing what you can to help them in some way. And I walked away from this case feeling that we did just that. Thanks for listening to episode 17 of the Night Owl podcast. We had so much audio we couldn't include in this series that we'll be releasing a lot of deleted segments and also sharing the incredible sessions with Sarah and Manny on our Patreon page. So if you're interested in hearing everything that unfolded in this series, visit our Patreon page. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the Night Owl podcast. Support us for as little as a dollar a month and get access to all this and much, much more. We also have a backlog of extras from the past episodes already on the page and you automatically get access to this once you become a patron of the show. Plus, we have some very exciting news to announce regarding the show and some special events and offerings that we're partnering with Buenos Aires Cafe on. And to get access to this information, you'll have to be a patron. I'd like to thank my team, Sarah, Alexis, and Franklin for going on these crazy adventures with me, Nicholas Fair and Petey Wilder for your talented musical contributions to the show, and my very supportive wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours, and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftwork Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And to help keep this show going, and my team and I fed and caffeinated, please support us for as little as a dollar a month on our Patreon page. This contribution not only helps me keep this show alive, you gain access to a ton of cool behind-the-scenes stuff. So please visit patreon.com backslash thenightowlpodcast and become a Night Owl patron today. And a special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Oh Boy Print Shop. If you have the need for custom t-shirt printing, you can feel at ease in the hands of Oh Boy Print Shop. Be sure to mention the Night Owl podcast to get $50 off your first order. Thank you all, and stay restless out there. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcast or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. 
and get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's DriftWorkSound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.